Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to Seeds Podcast. I'm really glad you could join me because I got the chance to speak with Brett Harvey from Taima Korero. And this is an important initiative which tries to open up conversations about a seldom discussed topic, which is pornography and the impact it's having on our young people. Before we get into that, though, we talk a lot about his life, what it was like growing up, and what motivated him to start this charity. If you're interested in finding out more, there's links in the show notes to everything we talk about as well, and there's a bunch of resources at the website that we discuss. As many of you know, I host this podcast, but I'm also a lawyer, which means that I help people get their legal structures right, and so I've been with Brett on the journey of setting up this charity for a number of years, and so I really enjoyed hearing a bit more of the background on how it all started. If you enjoy this, then why not check out other episodes in the back catalog, because there's several hundred of those now. Now let's get straight into our conversation with Brett. Well, it's a real pleasure to welcome Brett Harvey from Taima Korero. Thanks for joining me. So good. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Hey, I'm really looking forward to this one because I've known you several years now. (laughs) And in fact, as my other hat, not the podcasting hat, as a lawyer, helped you with the setup of this charity. Yes. So I'm really keen to find out what you're doing, how is it going, what are the things that you're involved in. Mm. But before we get to that, I'd love to jump in the time machine <laughs> yeah, right. and just find out about the person. You know, like, mm. let's not dive straight into what you do. Let's find out what shaped you. Mm. And then now you do what you do. Mm. So in your case, what was life like when you were, say, five years mm. old? Great. Yeah, this this is interesting, Stephen, because, you know, typically people ask us what we're doing in the modern today. But um, yeah, just thinking through what, what my childhood was like. Well, I, I grew up in Tamaki Makoto. Uh, I had, I, I perceive I had a great childhood. Um, I'm going to say that we grew up in a privileged environment. Um, my father had a reasonable sized company where obviously the um, income uh, reflected on our lifestyle. So I grew up in a great environment. I I'm, had a loving, loving home, loving mother and father. Uh, I've got an older older sibling, uh, sister Lisa, and we had fun. Uh, we had extended whānau close by in our community, so we did a lot with, you know, with my cousins and, um, and you know, had a, had a lot of fun. Mm. Schooling, I uh, went to a little school in um, a place called Linfield, called Housie Drive. Uh, schooling for me was not a great experience, I must say. I, I'm not an academic and I struggled learning. Uh, back then, of course, in the uh, 70s, sort of late 70s, the different learning styles had certainly not come into play at all. So I was very much there to play and play sport and mm-hmm. um, and enjoy life with my mates as, as much as I could. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that's really interesting. Um, and the the business of your father, what, hmm. what was he involved in? Yeah. What was that? Um, I might just go back another generation. My my right. grandfather, um, he he was heavily involved with inventing the dishwasher. Really? Yeah. Huh. And um, so they had a uh, a company. Uh, it was called Dishmaster back then, where they had branches through Auckland, um, and that went on to kitchen appliances. So they were doing a lot of range hoods, 
um, you know, like like you, like your white ware you would find in the typical Harvey Norman store today. Mm-hmm. Um, in the um, early 80s, um, my father managed to secure the Smeg Agency, um, which was the introduction really for for New Zealand to see European appliances come into play. And so that took off, took off with the company with getting Smeg. And um, and the company grew incredibly quickly. Right. Um, now it's interesting you mentioned this, Stephen, because as a young teenager, I I was very much um, looking forward to, or I'm going to say, have this bit of a cushion effect that I was going to step into the company at some point, and you know, and eventually, hopefully, run run that company. Um, however, due to the growth of the business that it just got out of hand to the point where um, they sold it in 1986. Right. Um, it was too successful. It was too <laughs> successful. Yeah. Um, it's now named Kitchen Things. Um, it's a brand that it's currently uh, currently named. Right. So I remember sort of feeling quite cast aside to like, whoa, my my future as an adult um, right. <laughs> had, had sort of shifted. My, uh, the, you, you thought you were going to step into the shoes yes. that were prepared for the chosen son. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in hindsight, it was actually, it was actually a really good thing. Yeah. Um, funny enough, the company was sold two weeks before the 86 share market crash. Ah. Um, so, you know, who knows what the differences could have been if, if, yeah. if that had of you know, being different. Yeah. So, um, so let's just, um, we're not going to rush this interview. So sure. your, your grandfather. Yes. Inventor. Mm. Did you know him or had he passed when you were mm. young or did you remember him? No, or, yeah, yeah, very much remember him. Yeah. So what was he like? What, what's the mentality or what makes up the DNA of an inventor, someone who's involved in a new thing? Mm. Um, my wife just recently in the last five years, uh, wife Darwin, um, got right into the research of looking at my grandfather's history okay. and where he came from. Um, and he didn't have a great childhood. Uh, he was he was raised on the west coast of the South Island, pretty much, um, you know, very low-income family. Um, didn't know who his father was, was raised by his grandparents. Um, but he... He was an entrepreneur. He was a real entrepreneur and, and go-getter. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he had his struggles. Um, alcohol was his Achilles heel, and uh, but he was a very functioning alcoholic and succeeded very quickly. Um, mm. Well, you know, back back then, I don't think he was doing some a lot, lot level of honesty in terms of business practice. Sure. <laughs> I've heard some stories. But in saying that, he was he was very much a, a go getter. So he was no, he was around. Um, he passed when I was about twenty two. Yeah. So um, I was his golden grandson. I was. Um, yeah, yeah. He, right. <laughs> he wanted maybe to take over the business one day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was definitely thought yeah. of at that point. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm just curious about the idea of innovation because we take so much for granted today like mm. you walk into any house it's probably going to have a dishwasher yes so what was it like you know in the era before dishwashers when that was the latest innovation like we talk about the latest iPhones or mm. whatever but yes. imagine when the innovation was wow you got a dishwasher yes that's quite a 
fi- a mindset shift, yes, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> I remember them. I can clearly remember as a child testing them in the garage. Really? You know, um, the, the the biggest challenge was to get lipstick off remember, of a glass. Okay. You know? um, so the dishwasher wasn't a success until that lipstick was removed. Mm. Um, and just the countless tests and scenarios to to mm. achieve that. Because yeah. um, it's almost a sign of a society, like what do we value if we're automating a task like dishwashing mm. Mm. to free us up to do what? To watch TV or to yes. do other things? Well, that's 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 what the selling point was yeah. in those days. Yeah. Um, I can remember as a child having one of the first microwaves into the country mm. and experimenting, you know, and, you know, would, would they take off? Would would households have them? What was the benefit? And mm. as you just said, the, the selling point was quick, you know, yeah. quick heat, yeah. um, you know, so you can do other things. Yeah. Um, so, it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting growing up in that, um, in that environment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I'm even thinking this may end up being relevant to what we talk about later, but doing dishes together as a family, mm. you know, like the process of stacking them, rinsing them, washing them, drying them, there's a lot of conversation that happens over the doing of the dishes. Yes, and yes. you kind of lose something when you automate that part of your life. Mm. I don't know where I'm going with this. It's just an interesting reflection on yes. what we now take for granted a hundred years ago was very different. Yes. Mm. I mean, it, and as we go through this timeline, I'll share you what my first major job was and we'll, we'll laugh. But, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And you mentioned there was cousins and so quite an active, quite a big mm. whanau family mm. all close together. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was also grew up in um, quite a large uh, church community in Auckland at the time mm-hmm. where we did a lot of interacting with and... Um, yeah, at the time, it's you know it was like a, a, an extended family. So, lots of youth, um, youth you know programs and stuff that yeah. that I can remember just really enjoying doing mm-hmm. doing trips and you know stuff as you know started at, at the boys group started at age ten and would go and do stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I um, I'm you know I talk with and work with a lot of people that have had challenged childhoods and look, I'm I'm privileged to. I feel incredibly privileged to say that mm. I had a great childhood. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's the type of thing that you don't realize at the time, probably, but looking so back right. and having interacted with others, yes, you look at it and go, "Oh, actually, mm. <laughs> I yeah. probably." If you'd asked me when you were ten years old, you would have said, "Oh, I don't get this or that." But looking back, it's like, "Wow." Yes. A lot of privilege. Yes. Mm. I mean, I ho- my father had a yacht, and um, you know, we'd spend two months almost in the summer, you know, cruising around the Hauraki Gulf. Mm. You know, I took it for granted. Mm. I just, you know, at times... This I, is just what we do. It's just what we do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was always never back at school on the first day because we're away in the yacht still. Yeah. Um, you know, how privileged is that? <laughs> how privileged <laughs> is that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, um, yeah. so tell me a bit about the... Um, you, we talked a little bit about school, but coming through your teenage years, you know, what... Was it this idea that one day you'll take over the business? So, you, yeah, w- or what were you focusing on? What yeah. did you think you would do? I was a typical teen. Um, in terms of, you know, a, a boy, I was mad on girls, I, you know, to the point where I think I was a little bit unhealthy with it. Um, 
I can remember mum accusing accusing me once that I chased anything in a skirt, which stuck really deep. (laughs) Um, But I focused on sport. uh, Being up in the Hareka Golf, um, I was doing a lot of yachting um, competitively. Uh, I was um, uh, moving into competitive water skiing. So I was mixing with others in that space, some older, uh, you know, and again, that church community that were into those sports, um, but older than me, but... Yeah. We're a keen, so we're travelling around skiing and sailing. Um, did a lot of sailing with my father, actually, in my mid-teens, mm-hmm. um, sort of high-end competitively, dual, you know, dual, dual man yachts. Um, so, again, it was, it was great. It was, um, it was fun, you know. And, again, I was just living my teens, really, mm. just being a, being a typical teenager. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the, sorry, I mean, there are some negative sides, which I'll share... Um, but later on, which is why that got me into the work I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I was I was focusing on that sport side. I wasn't wasn't an academic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was relying on getting a step up into the business, really. Right. Um, and hoping that was going to. Yeah. Um, Did you have a conversation with your father at some point about that? Yeah. Or yeah, great like question. <laughs> he he to this day um, still feels guilty. Right. For selling, you ah. know, and not giving me that opportunity. Yeah. Um, and again, I've assured him that's that's what he had to do at the time. The yeah. the, the climate was dictating that, and he had to make that call. Mm. Um, but it was it. I I reflect on it. It would have been disaster. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't have allowed me to be my own man. You know, I would have been constantly Mm. you know hanging off the shirt tails of my father and i just don't think that would have been healthy Mm. yeah yeah that's interesting reflection isn't it like because i think all of us if you're a parent you want the best for your child yes is the best for your child that you set them up in a job as an example you know like come work at my company yes is that actually going to help them to be the full potential of who they are Mm. It's interesting. I mean, just just before he sold, um, I was leaving school, and he he did suggest I go and work at um, actually one of the company's competitors of of all places, just so I wouldn't actually step straight into the business. Mm. Um, so that was actually that mm. was actually quite good. I think that I did that. Uh, interesting. The owner of that company brought. My father's company. Oh, okay. Yeah, in 86. Oh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what happened next? Yeah. Um, I. It's interesting talking about innovation and my grandfather. And in my whole adult life, I have been working in a space of in breaking new ground, if I can call that, or innovation. So mobile telephones were just being launched okay. in, yep. in Auckland. Yep. Uh, so this is late 80s, early yeah, 90s, late is late it? 80s, yeah. yeah, I was yeah. 18. Um, this is a Motorola, uh-huh. you know, it was at the time. And I started selling Motorola phones. Um, at the time, they only really worked in the greater Auckland region. It's the only places they, they would work. Mm-hmm. Um, then are were, these kind of bricks yeah. of a phone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I still remember the model numbers. Um, you know, the first flip phones were just starting to come out, you know, which were seven and a half thousand dollars you know at the time right uh, wow but it was at a time when people didn't believe they needed phones like i would walk onto building sites trying to sell phones and get nail guns fired at me and you know how ridiculous 
would you have a device like this? Right. And I can remember saying at the time, you know, they will be sold on the corner dairy mm. in, in just normal run-of-the-mill shops to everyone, and everyone will have one. And they'd laugh at me. <laughs> um, so it was, it was interesting to be in that space. Mm. Um, Which, yeah. by comparison, just thinking, like, for my children or the next generation, everyone has a phone. Yes. <laughs> like, you, you, very practical. When our children turn, like, 11, 12, mm. they need to get on a bus. Yes. They need to get home. We need to be in contact with them. Mm. They get a phone. Yeah. But yeah. go back not that long ago. It no. was not common. And it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. We're only talking 30, 35 years. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. that is all. Um, and, of course, the functionality of the phones back then was very much phone call. Yeah. Um, there were an early ones, text messaging wasn't, mm. wasn't achievable. So um, what did you learn about human nature in being a salesperson of a new technology? <laughs> um, it, was, it was challenging. I can recall being incredibly um, frustrated where I could see the benefits for people's lifestyle. Um, let's take a, a typical builder mm-hmm. where back then they spent the day on the tools and they would go home and spend their whole evening ordering product, gearing up for the next week or so. Right? Whereas, you know, introducing mobile telephones, I mean, we, we laugh because they all do it now, of course, but back then... I was trying to introduce the concept of you could do this on the go. You could do this in the car while you were travelling to and from sites. Mm. And, you know, they would mock me and call me yuppie and, you know, back then in the yuppie days, Auckland yuppie days. And so that I was incredibly frustrated that people couldn't grasp the importance or the benefits mm. of being able to, to have a mobile telephone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, I can remember just being so frustrated and just wanting to shake people to like, come on, you must realize this. So, yeah, did that answer your question? It was, yeah, I yeah, think so, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to ago, me, yeah. being, being in sales, like you learn a lot about human nature, I think, and you learn a lot about, you could probably tell within 30 seconds, is yep. there a chance here or not? Like yep. there's shutters go up immediately or, hmm, that's interesting, tell mm. me more. Yeah. And then I guess the, how do you tell the story in a way that means that they see the potential and they yes. want to buy it? Like that's the talent of a salesperson. Sure. It's the old saying, you know, that person could sell a, a freezer to the Eskimos. You yeah, know, like yeah, it, they're, yeah. they're in ice, but they, hey, you really need this freezer. Mm. Yeah. And I, look, I was actually, I'm going to say I was, I was successful in that space. Um, Motorola in the day was very much a commission-based um, system. And um, it was very lucrative, you know, and you didn't have to sell too many phones to be mm. making a reasonable living. Uh, plus, Especially in those at days. Seven and a half thousand yeah. <laughs> per phone. Yeah. Um, oh. And in those days, we even got a percentage of people's bills. So, um, so we, would be, we would encourage people to use them more and more, too, because we would, that would increase our income. So, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I'm saying. I'm sounding old here, Stephen. Those are lo- it's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Um, we have to preserve these memories for the next generation who will listen to this podcast and go, yeah, "Wow, sure. imagine yeah. a world without mobile phones." <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, I often reflect as well, even 
email is so common today. Like I remember getting my first email when I went to university and yeah, it right. was like shm28 at canterbury.ac.nz. Yeah. You know, it's like, what is this thing? How, how do I, I log in? Yeah. I get in an electronic notification. <laughs> it's, yes. Th this, that would have been like 1994 or 1995. Right. Like yes. it was still, that's not that long ago, no. but it no. was all brand new. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Internet yeah. was just really starting to ramp up at that point, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. 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 So salesperson of mobile phones. Yeah. What happened next? Um, mobile phones started moving into that um, space of normal. Everyone was starting to get them, yep. and I became a little bit bored with that. So uh, at that at that time too, I was I was going to marriage. Um, so this is ninety two. Um, in the in that um, church space I grew up in, I was involved with the audio side where um, I'd be doing the sound and so forth. And it was I quite liked that the technology of mm -hmm. audio visual and um, I moved into working for a company that that sold and did large commercial audio visual installs. Okay. So uh, church space, nightclubs, theatres. Uh, so yeah, I enjoyed that. I um but I was again I was an employee and um, I was constantly in that space of I wasn't raised to be an employee. <laughs> so quite quickly after that uh, we um, identified a need for home automation, again, being in that innovative space. Mm -hmm. uh, automation was just coming on stream and linked up with um, a guy down here in Christchurch where we started a company that we really focused on that high-end automation hmm. and, and so forth. So, again, innovative. Yeah. No one thought they needed it. Uh, People so, questioned it, yeah. So what was the automation that you were doing? So in a home environment where, you know, we could set up the home that all operating systems in a home could be could be controlled remotely or from an iPad. So, okay. so lighting, heating, um, audio visual, and where that can be, uh, that can all be talked together. So like a classic example of if someone went away for the weekend, they set the alarm. On setting that alarm, it's going to lower the blinds, change the lighting, mm -hmm. change the lighting every day to a different scene, so it's perceived someone's home. Um, heat management, so we're uh, you know solar and trying to save energy and getting that energy back into the home. So mm -hmm. it's integrating whole systems within a home to to talk a lot more together mm -hmm. and uh, cleverly. And it's yeah. really using technology, isn't oh, it? Yeah. At, at the at the best form of it, yeah. Of, I want this room to be this temperature or something. Yes, that's like, right. I'll automate it to happen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it was all iPhones were very much in play at that point. So we're controlling anything and everything from a phone or or, or an iPad or. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, we're doing the home shows here in Canterbury, and we're you know pushing pushing that into that sort of high end architectural space. Yeah. And it was. Um, I know. I. Look, reflecting now that I'm, I'm out of that, Stephen, I, I look back and I didn't overly enjoy it. I must say, the what, what I think it was, and I think this is who I am as a person, is I was selling the concept and we had others in the company that did the work. So they, I knew what it could do. 
I had no clue how to achieve or how to set up the systems. And as an owner of that company, I was in partnership, but as a part owner, I was always petrified that if any of these team members decide to walk away, I'm liable. I have committed verbally as a person to someone that I can do this for them. And I was always scared that if something fell over, that I couldn't step in and fix it. Um, yeah, I can remember it just constantly, constantly hounded me and affected me on what if, what if I was left alone with this baby and I couldn't actually put it right or something broke or and I, I couldn't fix it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Which, yeah, which is understandable. It's kind of the owner mentality, isn't it? Like, mm. I want to make it better. I want to fix it. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So how long did you do that? And we're here wearing different hats. So what happened to move you on from that role to what you do today? Yeah, so that was, um, that's part of that. We're in, in going for 12 years. Uh, so that sort of transitioning from that to what I do now um, Stephen, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the juicy, the interesting part to me is always when you're talking with someone in their life story, what were the factors that led them to change? Yeah. Because there's listeners out there who are dissatisfied in their current jobs, but maybe don't know it yet. Yeah. <laughs> and hearing your story might help them yeah. in working out, okay, what are the signals or how do I make a change? Mm. I, can, I can recall... Um, being in a space when I was in the business where my spare time, rather than watching, you know, fishing videos on YouTube, I I started researching, you know, in the space that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. So I'll quickly I'll quickly re rewind again to um, to when I was 12. Okay. And I was at an intermediate school up in Tamaki Makoto, and um, I clearly remember this day, Stephen. I was sitting there and a friend came and sat down beside me and showed me a pornographic magazine. And it had this massive impact on me. I was I was 12, you know, I was probably just on the verge of adolescence. And while I was grew up in a moral home, so I, I was sort of part of my brain was saying, oh, I shouldn't be looking at this. But the feelings that were rushing through my body were like, whoa, this is amazing. You know, there's now realising I was having this huge dopamine hit that I wasn't ready for. And I came away from that experience of, I need more of this. And um, I started accessing my own material and I was, you know, consuming pornography probably on a daily basis into my teens. Mm. And I had this, it impacted me. Massively, I thought I was the only person. I thought I was this absolute sick young man mm. that needed to look at these images on a daily basis. Didn't tell anyone. I, th you know, I thought I was it. And um, in the context as well, we've talked about cell phones or mobile phones yes. before. Like this is before yep. the mobile phone, which is I think is relevant to what we're going to yes. get to. So yes. yeah, because this is paper. You know, like it's magazines and paper-based things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'll often say to people, you know, the material that a lot of us as adults were originally exposed to, it, it has gone through a classification process. So it was considered today, you know, pretty what's probably considered soft, soft pornography. 
anyway, Stephen, unfortunately, I took that um, that habit into my marriage and um, very quickly realised that that in my marriage wasn't going to be okay, and started on a journey of um, getting off it, like to completely remove myself from being reliant on the cycle of of needing this pornography, and it was challenging. Uh, it was incredibly challenging. So from with with those years and realising the challenge that I went through, uh, at the time my wife and I were doing a bit of youth work and um, we were running a youth centre out in Kaipoi, North, North Canterbury. And I was looking at these youth thinking, these young people are facing those same challenges. Internet had arrived and who is looking out for them? Who Who's talking to these young people about this in their journey? So I didn't want anyone to go through what I'd gone through. So fast forward again. Yep. So I was in business and um, I started researching, well, who who in this country is doing anything about this? Who's who's working on this? And I was, I was amazed. There was very little that I could find. Um, now, in saying that, I'd love to shout out to the odd organisation like the Light Project. They were very much happening. Um, there's a woman in Auckland called Jo Robertson. So she, you know, she's very um, vocal in this space. But compared to the need that I could see that was about to absolutely blow up in our face, there was little being done about it. And I thought, I, I want to work in this space. I, I, I want to be part of the solution here. Mm. So... So was that a particular moment, like a day you can yeah, trace? Or did I do. It, yeah, yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah, it was. Well, what was, was happening on that day that well, made it so significant? Like, okay, this is it. I I remember um, talking to, having a moment in, in our walk in Woodrow of all places. Of right, I need to, I need to turn a chapter, like to a new book. I need to. Right. Um, I mean, and looking back, Stephen, my business was everything. You know, as men, we often associate to who we are and what we do. So I was like, I can't shift out of business. That's that's who Brett Harvey is. So I was so petrified to think, I can't move. I can't move here. And I can remember sitting down with my wife saying, look, this is something I want to move into. You know, how about we move out of the business? You know, she's like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and look, I, and it, it didn't just... You know, we didn't just start it. It was very much, it was a, I didn't really decide it. Just, like I was talking to a mate on the beach in the Abel Tasman of all places and I was sharing what I'd found on how we need to help parents in this space. We need to be talking to our kids more. And, you know, and he said, look, he was a part of a church and he said, would you come and share this in our church place? I went, yeah, yeah, sure. So I put a PowerPoint together. I must look it up and see what it was like. Anyway... I presented to this group and there's a teacher there and a, a, a someone from a boys' brigade and they said, look, would you come and share this? And it started to... I see. It started to sort of get momentum. So pretty organic, yes. like humble beginnings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I can remember thinking, I can't do this. I, you know, I can't. Yeah. I need to just... You haven't say, got a qualification no, in this. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. Um, at the same time, um, we... My passion very quickly realised I needed to move out of the business, so so my my partner at the time took took it over completely, and um, yeah, and then COVID hit. <laughs> Good old COVID. So everything sort of went on pause. Um, 
I was sort of part-time working for another audiovisual company to sort of tread water. And, but then, you know, once at that time, it allowed me to really put a foundation down to, okay, if we're going to make a go of this, you know, what, what do we need to do? Um, I can remember reaching out, and this is where you come actually involved, Stephen, I can remember reaching out to a colleague saying, you know, how do you set up a trust? Like, what's involved? And um, your name very quickly came across my desk and you said, look, Stephen Moe of Perryfield, he's, he's the man for social enterprise and setting up trust. So I remember, I think I rang you straight away. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, Stephen, I'm doing, you know, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I have those conversations most weeks, mm. sometimes every day of a week. <laughs> yeah. People are really interested in like, what's the process? How do you do it? And yeah. I've helped set up about 40 or 50 charities wow. just in the last year. Okay. So yeah, pretty familiar with it. Yeah. So how did you know, like this This is just after COVID? Is yeah. that, that's the time that yeah, it's three, happening? Three years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, during lockdown, I thought, why don't I jump on and create a website? You mm-hmm. know, um, we had time. Yeah. You know, we, we had, so I created this website with no creativity skills at all, but we started, you know, yeah. and then um, and then all of a sudden we found more and more organisations were were wanting me to come and and, and present and yeah. talk through. So, um, yeah, so that was yeah three years ago now. I, I, so April one this year will be the third official year when when you literally sent me through the. <laughs> the, the, the congratulations the correct, correct yeah. paperwork yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah wonderful yeah so tell us a little bit about the initiative let's start mm. with the name yeah like how did you choose this name mm. and what does it mean to you and and what are you hoping to do with it sure i mean the passion the passion behind this work and from where it all started from is our children and young people are being exposed to some pretty horrific pornography online whether they choose to be or they're being exposed without their without their wanting to. And I was realising that as parents, caregivers, now was the time. We're at a time in history where we need to be talking to our kids about this space. And realising very quickly though that pornography is not really talked about today. So while while it's a great concept Parents were like, "Well, how? What do we say? How do we how do we actually approach this, and where do we start?" So, I saw this this hole, I guess, of how can we, with no shame or guilt, with empathy, mm. walk and help our children through this process. We are at a time where it is we can't hide from it. It is what it is. So let's help our children. So, when I was thinking names. It was like, it is time to talk. We need to talk now. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, when, when then you said to me, <laughs> you need a name for the trust, I was like, oh. Um, and again, coming from that business space into, into this non-for-profit space, what was walking parallel with that was my cultural journey. I was on a journey of realising that um, as a middle-aged white male Pakeha, I had completely missed our, our history. And so I was delving into, 
into my whole culture journey at the same time. So at that time, I was like, well, we needed to bring some Tereo into into the trust. How right. could we do that? Um, so in my ignorance of a white Pākehā male, I went onto the Māori Dictionary and translated Time to Talk, which was spat out, Time Akorero. And again, I have now learnt, Stephen, that that process was incredibly arrogant and I now I wished I had done that process and consulted mm. you know some Maori leaders far more but at the time I thought I was doing good I I thought I I wanted to bring this in so mm. so having just let's stop there for a second because yep. people listening might be going oh but what could you have done what what do you think would have been another process or just to let people know yeah I now have learned I should have um, gone to some local local iwi and um, formed a relationship with them and talked through with them that I would love to bring some tereo into the name of our trust mm. and allowed them to, and been with them and walk through that process. Mm. I arrogantly, within 24 hours, grabbed the name, grabbed some tereo and thought, this sounds good, let's use that. Mm. Um, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, mm. you know. Um, and I've since spoken to some some Māori leaders that I get some coaching from, and and they're fine. You're like, look, your intent was great, your intent was great. Mm. But I just, I have now learned. I wish I had have done that better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, life's a learning journey, and yeah, maybe other people can learn from this quote or right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are different. Um, considerations yes yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah i do see it sometimes i can't remember the detail of the conversations that we would have had but sometimes people do appropriate or take you know and yeah. it's a very it, it, it's actually ironically it's a very colonial mindset to say yeah i'm gonna take this language and yeah. use it so it's like yeah there's ways to do it right yeah 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 yeah, yeah i've had i've had some really um sad moments on i I really, you know, I love what I do. I, I'm passionate about the work we do, mm. but I'm not proud of that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, thank you for so, sharing. I, yeah. It would be easy to gloss over that and and not talk about it, so yeah. I appreciate that you went there. Yeah, sure. Um, and yeah. tell me, yeah, tell me more about what, yeah. what you're actually doing. Yeah, like, so so the work very much that was started in the sense that... Um, uh, you know, schools were a common uh, area where I would go in and do parent presentations. Mm-hmm. So a parent presentation looks like parents from a school, they come into, you know, their hall and um, I would do a presentation to them, which is still very much happening today. It's a big part of what I do. And that is that is focuses on, and I want I want to make sure that people get here that this is a hope message. Like, yes, pornography is impacting our children, young people, but... I try and get a message of hope. So so we talk through, hey, this is what the porn landscape is. It's important for adults to know that. And parents will often still say to me, oh, I, th- I thought pornography was still a magazine. Or, you know, as parents, caregivers, we need to know what our young people are watching, mm. which is very different to the yesteryear. Um, so I, I deliver that very gently. Um, and that can be that can be surprising to many. Um, you know, I'm watching the room pretty closely, mm. so I don't want to trigger anyone, of course. Um, but then we very quickly move into 
why we need to have conversations, why do we need to partner with our children in this space, and then and then the how. So right down to one-liners on what to say, how to start it, how to set up a conversation. Mm. Um, and we talk, and we talk about the why. You know, I think I think most parents want their children to grow up and have a healthy sexuality. So. You know, pornography is doing its darndest to to stop that process. So let's let's look at the just practical tools on how to do that. Um, so schools, um, uh, faith-based organisations, uh, right through to uh, like social social service agencies, where they will have a mixture of whānau support, counsellors, social workers, youth workers. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll just quickly touch on that if I can. You know, a lot of these agencies will go and work with a family um, and they may be called in because there's some family violence or, or a mental health issue. or So they will talk about all those things, but through research, what, we, what we're noticing is that pornography can often be a massive contributor to that behaviour. Mm. Uh, but typically, today... Pornography is a bit of a taboo still, and we don't go there. So, a lot of my training workshops with with professional staff is let's let's unpack that a bit. We mm. need to talk about this. Yeah, here's here's what you're looking for, and how how to talk through on how this might be linking in. Yeah. Um, so it's just opening up this topic, opening up the tabooness. Um, yeah, to, so so normalizing it no, so that people yeah. can actually have a conversation because yeah. it it seems to me like I'm by no means an expert in the av- availability of it and things but I feel like it's more pervasive than well definitely than it was decades mm. ago yes. but even on a platform like say Facebook you know yeah. or what you would consider would probably be a pretty safe platform there's actually a lot of content there yes, yes. and YouTube you know like mm play next video play next mm-hmm. video like there's a there's a lot out there that can get into the algorithms yes or whatever yeah and it it pops up mm-hmm. and you know so i've got four children yeah so i'm thinking about them as yes. we're having this yes conversation right. this yep. quote at all you know like how do we have those conversations mm-hmm. so that they know and then the other thing that i'm thinking of is i was chatting with a lawyer who really focuses in on criminal Mm. area Mm. so they will go into court and the judge will be there and they'll be sentencing young men Mm. and one of the things that becomes clear is that they think that their conduct is normal Mm -hmm. because they've watched so many things online where it seems like that's a normal way to treat your partner or a normal way to do this or that but it's it's not (laughs) and it's not acceptable um, so there's this disconnect between the reality of a relationship and then what somebody has potentially grown up, mm. even since a young child, mm. watching, thinking that that's an appropriate, normal way to treat yes. another person. Mm. So, yeah, there's just lots of dynamics here, isn't there, to be thinking about. Can I just pick up on that? Where, I mean, the average age uh, of exposure in New Zealand is 12, um, and that's the average so there's a lot more younger ones being exposed, obviously. Mm. And what what I want to try and get across to parents is that children today are growing up with Google. And, I mean, Google's fantastic, right? I mean, it, we use it every day. So from a very young age, a, a child uses Google with anything they want to inquire about. And they will 
pretty much get a good answer. It doesn't let them down. So when a, a child then is hitting that age where there's a bit of curiosity about their body or the opposite sex or how does it work, or I mean, they naturally turn to Google. And uh, the porn industry is very clever with their SEOs and are waiting and ready. And, um, and so a young person will click on these sites. And a young person will often watch this and they will process, well, Google hasn't let me down yet. So this must be what it be this must mm. be what it's like. So they watch something pretty violent where someone's being, you know, harmed or, or abused and they will go, Oh, this is must this is normal. Yeah. This is what so and, so that, and and picking up on that, that's the digital native yes. who's grown up since they were maybe yeah. two years old using phones and using Google and like that's it's right. just a it's just a inbuilt in ingrained that this is how we find information. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I will say to any any parents, you know, if if you want your young person to grow up and have a healthy sexuality, you know, in today's today in history might be different in the future, but today is more important that as parents we need to be their Google on anything and anything sexual. You know, um, Google's not doing a good job in this space, and the porn industry is teaching and normalising. Um, what these sexual acts are, and just coming back to your these young guys in court, yeah, I think we're about to see a lot more of that, where these young people are going to be saying, "What did I do wrong?" Because no one has countered that message. Mm. No one has said, "Well, actually, this is not okay. This what you're seeing is not right." Mm. Um, so yeah, it's just yeah, uh, you know, it's so important. I can't get across enough that yeah. those conversations need to happen they need to be normal there needs to be no shame um yeah i mean just so so what are some resources for people that that you know if a parent's listening to this and going actually this makes a lot of sense have you got a website is there Mm. some some resources that people can come and find yeah i assume the website's going to be on this we can add it in it'll be in the show notes yeah yeah (laughs) so click there yeah so there's some resources that we promote there's lots of ways um and really good material out there on how to start the conversations, mm-hmm. um, right down to one-liners. Um, there's a book which I promote uh, for the younger ones called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, where it is designed for bedtime reading, where you know every night, hopefully as a parent, you're putting your young person to bed, and it's a great opportunity to just slowly introduce them to what pornography is. It's a bad picture. Um, there's two options. There's one book designed for sort of age 8 to 12, right? Um, now, because of the exposures getting less and less, they have now released a new version called uh, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior, where that is targeted at age 3 upwards, okay? Now, you, uh, you know, your list is maybe going, what? 3. But this is the shift that we need to make as mm. a society. Our young ones are on devices, and that exposure could happen, and we need to be that safe space for them to land, mm. that when they see it, not if, when they're exposed, they're going to know what it is, they're going to come and tell you, mum or dad, caregiver, they're going to come and talk to you about it, and you can help them process it. Mm. And so these books will just help with that, you know, and um, give them plans that if someone shows them, what do they do? You know, there's a great little thing, turn, run and tell. Turn away, run, and go and tell someone. Mm. Um, 
and in the youth space, you know, there's a lot more, um, a lot more material on how to work with teenagers. You know, the stats are saying that they probably are consuming. So, how do we talk to our youth about what they're seeing? Let's get them critical thinking about what they're looking at. You know, who's being impacted here on these videos? So, shift. We need to shift that normalisation of what our youth are looking at to get them critically looking at it, mm. cr- what it is. Yeah. I could talk for hours on this, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get across quickly. No, more. that's great. Um, well, I think the key is that people will know that there's some resources that they can go and find. Yep. And then in, in your life on a day-to-day basis, are you going in then to schools, yep. to parents, to churches, mm-hmm. to community groups? Is that your main yep. focus? Yep, all up and down the country. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them will have it. Um, you know, a, a school may just want to have it privately for their parents or or a space. But often, often some of these spaces will open up to the community, which we put on our Facebook page. Um, yeah, you know, it, nearly every event I do, at least one parent will come and say to me, oh my goodness, every parent needs to hear this, you know. Um, so it's not, it's not a shocking presentation. It's not negative. It's not, oh, this is bad. Yes, there's an aspect of this. It's about, hey guys, let's, let's, let's team up here as a community and let's face this head on. Mm. It is what it is. We can't, it's it's too big. We're not going to stop it tomorrow. No government, no matter what colours and power, will will stop it. Mm. Let's actually, actually, it is happening, so let's embrace it. Let's embrace it fully and help our kids through this. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's that's a critical thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And when you think about just the access I'm just thinking, like, as we even were talking, we both got our phones here right beside us, you know, like, it's just right there. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there any, yeah, what do you think, is there any measures that could be taken Mm. at some sort of a filter level or something, or some some software that can be installed on on phones or something? Yeah. I work closely with um, an organization called Safe Surfer. Mm -hmm. I think, have you been involved with them? Yeah, I have, actually. Yeah. yeah. so, so that's Rory. Rory, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm up in Tauranga a couple of weeks. We're uh, going to meet up and have some have a quarter. Also, uh, Safe Surfer is a um, a filtering service where you pay a small monthly fee. It's very affordable, and you put it across your devices in your home, and it will filter out adult content. Um, at, not just that, you can set up each device different. So, for instance, my own two children. One's a teenager, one's one's ten, so my my teenager has uh, more leeway. But so, um, or you might have um, someone who has maybe struggling with gambling or or something like that, where you can put restrictions in place. But the 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 main focus of their filtering system is filtering out adult content. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look at that. I'd love you to add Safe Super to the notes if that's yeah, okay. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've known um, Rory several years actually. Yeah. So as a, again, as a lawyer, helping out yeah. different initiatives, and that yeah. that is one of them. So yeah, I kind of thought that you would have connected. So yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, a, yeah. yeah. I do say though, um, I do say while the filtering is really important, um, you know, your child may go for a sleepover or you know go to go to grandparents mm-hmm. for the night. You know, to and where the filtering may not be in that home, so filtering's great, but the conversation is the most important. Mm. You know, and they need to go hand in hand. I'll, I'll have the old parents say, oh, "I'll just put a filter on, so I won't have to talk about it." No, no, it's 
it, they go hand, you know, it needs to be a conversation. Yeah. And, and you know, stuff like that. I mean, we have we have device contracts for parents. We, we encourage that. You know, the, the phones we give our children, they're pretty powerful. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, why not put some sort of contract in place where then a young person respects the device for how powerful it is. Mm. And it's designed for each household depending on... on you know your your moral codes. Everyone's going to have different opinions, but you've we've set it up that you can set up the contract to suit your your family. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's something that people can access yeah. and get yeah. copy of. Yeah. yeah. We we just we just want to share this. Um, yeah. You know, if if a young person at say you know year eight is getting their first phone, you know it's a privilege. Let's treat it as that, and let's put some rules around it. Mm. You know, and the typical ones are. You know, again, I can only encourage parents, you know, no devices in bedrooms or bathrooms, um, you know, keeping devices in public spaces. Yeah. Um, it's it's not about, you know, invading their privacy. It's actually about protecting them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have a, a I guess you'd call it a rule, but we have a, you know, at nighttime at a certain point, mm. the phones are all on the yep. kitchen bench and they're getting Perfect. charged or whatever, Perfect. you know, but yeah. at that point, Okay, everyone's gone to bed and the phones are there. So yeah, yeah. How do you have those difficult conversations with your children? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I have I have one thought, which is what we find is that the best conversations is when you're driving somewhere, yeah. and you're just having a little chat, mm. you know, dropping off at the ballet or the mm. soccer or the whatever. That those re- instead of the point is instead of saying. At 3 p.m., mm. we will be sitting down and having a conversation with you, you know, and it, just keeping it a bit lighter. But yep. any tips or tricks? Um, teenage boys, you just referred to that. Great. Put them in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to look at each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, for a teenage, teenage male, he's going to know there's a destination. So if there's a tricky conversation, you know, it's not going to last forever. Um you know, so it's, but it's it's regular. It's not a one-off. Mm. You know, a lot of parents will have only experienced the one-off birds and the bees talk from their parents. You know, and they they will fall to that as a as a scenario. So it is regular. It's hey, you know, what have you seen? Do you want to talk about it? You know, we we had a chat. Um, I'd love to talk you through with some of the scenes you've seen. So let's let's look at it, what it is. Let's get critical about it. Mm. Um, you know. And just how you're feeling with it. Don't assume sexual. You know, we 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 have teenagers where they're angry. They're angry at the material. They're angry at the abuse. So they may be holding that anger in because they don't know how where to put that, or they mm. don't know how to to talk about because they don't want to mention to a mum or dad that they've seen porn. Mm. Um, it's it's the constant with with my daughter. She's now seventeen. So for the last five years or so. It has been a regular talk as though we're asking you to clear the dishwasher. It is that common. Mm. Hey, what have you seen? Just remember, whatever you're seeing, come and talk. <coughs> Excuse me. So we can talk about it. Mm. You know, um, It's really yeah. about relationship, isn't it? it when is. it comes back to it, yep. it's all about the connection and the relationship. And if you're able to have those conversations, yep. there's probably other conversations you're going to have that you should be having too mm, yeah. on relationships and yep. even money. And, you know, there's so many things that somehow we assume that our children will absorb <laughs> without having a conversation. But it doesn't happen that way. No, it's, but it's about, 
I mean, a funny story, when I'm traveling, I often get asked, you know, what do you do? Mm. And, um, you know, I, I say, look, what I do, and, you know, the word porn in there, and, you know, they'll give me this double take, and they'll, they'll repeat back to me, did I hear you right? That you do <laughs> yeah. But they will whisper the word porn. Right. They will always whisper it. Ah. And, and I'm like, what other thing as a society mm. that we don't want to say out loud? Yeah. And that's the shift we need to make. Mm. You know, that's that. If it was drugs or alcohol or mental health or no one would whisper it. Yeah. You know, um, so I'm realizing I'm breaking new ground here. Back to our innovative side. I'm breaking new ground, and it will take time. Mm. Um, but you know, parents will say to me, "It's too big. It's, the issue's too big." If each parent just helps their child, young people navigate this, they're doing enough. Mm. They don't have to save the world. They just have to work with their own young person mm. um, and help them help yeah. them through this. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Actually, it's interesting to think about your grandfather as well mm. just the era you know we were talking about how there wasn't dishwashers and then there was and what was the use of the dishwasher and i don't know for some reason it's resonating with yeah, this yeah. then we've got into the you used to sell the mobile phones when they yes. were a new thing and nobody could afford them and yes. they weren't there and then now it's pervasive and yes. they're there yes. and i guess my point is that society over time due to technology does change yes and things aren't the same as they were back mm. in the 1940s yep. when nobody had a dishwasher versus today where everybody does yes and therefore if if the infrastructure of what's available in terms of technology changes then we also need to change we do. with our conversations yes. and we need to be brave enough to have those conversations yep. with our young people mm. to prepare them yes yeah. yes and it's, I mean, sexuality is such an important thing. We're all sexual beings. So every person is going to grow up with some level of sexuality. And, yeah, the the porn industry is imprinting our young people's brains with this pretty negative messaging mm. that, you know, we need to counter. We need to be the opposite and counter the goodness Mm. of what sex can be. I mean, sex mm. is great. Mm. You know, let's let's get that message to our kids and you know on on what it is and how it can be awesome. Yeah. In the right in the right way. Yeah. 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 Um, That's great. Well, in the show notes, we'll put links to your website. We'll yep. put links to other things. Whatever you want, you can send me over, and we'll add them in. So if this is stimulated thinking for anybody in their conversation, you know, they want to have conversations, mm. but how would I do it? Let's put the resources so people can yeah, have right. that. There's a whole bunch of sort of two to three minute videos. Okay. You know, on, you know, um, my young person's just been exposed. What do I do? Mm. Um, you know, what if my child's curious? How do I handle that? There's, there's about seven or eight videos, short mm. videos of, of how to respond and just to cover those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Okay. And you are a charity, so presumably mm. people can support you if they are interested in doing that. So your website will have info on that yes. as well. Yes, yeah, please. Funding is always a challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, if there's a, if you don't mind me saying, mm. if there's a company out there that wants to get behind something that's a bit unique, you know, um, we are a bit different. We're not a food bank. <laughs> we are. So, yeah, it's it's going to... We want to grow steady. We don't want to grow fast. You know, uh, a great line for me is the, the strongest trees grow the slowest. Mm. Um, I'm, I want to create a foundation that um, 
others will come in and build on this. But hopefully in time, let's shift shift this whole culture of mm. and remove the tabooness and shame and guilt around pornography. Yeah, yeah that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, thank you. Good to hear your journey, what led you to this, your personal reflections, and yeah, your honest sharing about it. So mm. thanks for joining me today. Awesome. Thanks, Stephen, for having me. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brett. For me, there was lots of different highlights. I liked hearing about his early origins, the disappointment of not stepping into his father's business, and then what he's done since. If you'd like to know more, then look in the show notes because there's some links there to the initiative and some resources as well that will help you to have conversations. Until next time, kakiteano.